0: She did not have a name, there was no need for one in her pack. Smell and sight was enough to recognize each other, and during her first weeks of life she played with her brothers and sisters, explored the surroundings of her mother's den, and grew. She was born in spring, as the ice and snow had melted, a young wolf learning to track, to chase, and eventually, to kill. But she was different, her mother and her packmates knew it and her brothers and sisters came to learn. She wasn't weak, nor was she a threat to her pack, but as she grew older she learned to accept the harassment and growls from the others in the pack. Surely there was a reason they distrusted her, that they kept a close eye on her even as she worked hard to track, hunt, and bring down their prey. As the pack slept, she was not allowed closeness to keep warm, and as winter once more turned to spring, she saw her father for the first time. She would remember well the scar across one of his eyes, and the missing ear. Signs of age and experience. Experience of what, she did not know. He was a stranger to the pack, but not unwelcome. There was no growling, no posturing. The alpha male, whom she had previously thought was her father, offered no resistance, as the stranger mated once more with her mother. To her, the stranger snapped and growled, threatened, but never hurt. Instead, he put the fear in her and then he left. Another year passed. Slowly her mind became sharp. Sharper, she realized, than her siblings, and even the alphas. She saw patterns in the things around her. She understood better the movement of time, of weather. She grew expertly in the field of hunting, rising in the pack as the one who could trick any prey to fall into a trap. She memorized all the howls she heard. She offered advice to the alphas of her pack, even though they rarely listened, and she did her best to prove herself and her worth. Then, one night, the dreams that had been plaguing her for so long, and that had only grown in intensity as she'd gotten older, overcame her. Wild in fear, rage and ecstasy, she shed her skin. Howling madly, she fled her pack, running through the forest, stumbling from two to four legs and back again. The torment from her pack, the threats from the male it filled her mind as she came upon a logging camp. The smell of humans and corruption would otherwise have frightened her off, but not now, not this time. She threw herself through an opening, the glass crashing around her and barely grazing her flesh as she took in the cave she had found herself in. The humans inside yelled and screamed with weird sounds, some grabbing branches that shot fire and made loud noises. It stung like mosquito bites, but her rage would not be quelled. Howling madly, she tore into them, blood and guts coloring the insides of the cabin and her fur as she left none alive. Wrath finally sated, fear overcame her, and she became once more the wolf she had been, running off into the night. The day after, the stranger was back, having found her cowering beneath a log. He named her Shatterglass, a name that made little sense to her, and he brought her with him. Laika had never been particularly good at sitting still, and school, at least after the novelty of it passed, was a nightmare. Sure, she helped out with her younger brother at home, bought groceries and helped her dad keep the home clean, but all those things meant she could move around, get rid of all that excess energy. Her mother, her father had told her, had been the same. It was why he had asked her to marry him. But it was hard to be proud of that when she saw how tired her father was becoming working two jobs and forced into meetings after meetings with Laika's principal and teachers whenever she'd gotten into a fight with another student, or loudly complained about how boring the class was, or, worst of all, skipped class to get another hour to herself and the forest surrounding the school. He would say to them, and to her, that it would get better when she got older, that she would outgrow it, but she never did. When she was 14, she was suspended for a month for having attacked the new PE teacher when he, according to Laika, had been filming in the girls changing room and making a pass at one of her classmates when confronted about it. The very same night, she and some of her friends looked up where the teacher lived and planned to teach him a lesson. They threw rocks through his windows. But, as they did, Laika's anger just built and built, with no outlet. It wasn't just the teacher, it was the whole system. It ran her father ragged, trying to support them. It threatened to place both her and her brother in a foster home. It covered the tracks of a freaks like this teacher, too scared to accept the truth and do something about it. She changed, grew, became a monster. Her friends, terrified by what they saw, succumbed to delirium, babbling incoherently and losing their senses as Laika burst through the door of the building, tearing into the disgusting pedophile. When she was done, there was nothing but strips of meat left of him, some clinging to her claws. There was no kinfetch to alert nearby Garu of her change, no relatives aware of their nature as kinfolk. She fled, alone and scared, and lived on the streets for months, until by pure chance a bonenauer recognized the wolf in her and brought the frightened, emaciated pup to his cairn. on Fur's mother, he had been told, abandoned him at the Cairn of Green Willows when he had been only two weeks old. The children of Gaia were the dominant tribe of this cairn, which Chuzon-Fur assumes his mother knew, and that she had perhaps hoped that they would raise him, rather than to just throw the responsibility and shame of her act onto some strangers. Born in Krinos, or war form, chuzon first few years were in solitude and isolation. The other Garu at the cairn were nice, if somewhat distant to him, and he quickly realized he was more pitied than loved. A walking sign of his parents' sins, and anathema amongst many of the more hardline tribes. He would never be seen as an equal. When his first change came, shoes on fur was overjoyed. And while his homid appearance was hardly any more appealing than his Krinos, still lacking most of his hair and having rashes on more or less every inch on the surface of his skin, humans, he found, had slightly more tolerance for weirdos. He would use every opportunity to sneak out of the Sept and instead walk the streets, or even run in the forests, learning about his surroundings and, best of all, neither humans nor nature would constantly remind him what an abomination he was. Sure, he'd get the odd looks from passersby, but that he could live with. Still, growing up within a Sept came with some advantages. Choose on fur was not dumb, and he quickly learned to pick up any bit of knowledge and information he could overhear. And those giant floppy ears sure could pick up a lot. He learned history, about great warriors and sages of the Cairn, about the Wyrm, the great enemy, and so much more. Sure, he was always kept out of sight whenever fresh pups would undergo the rite of passage, but that didn't mean he had to keep out of sound. And besides, whenever he wasn't allowed to listen in, Chuzon Fur found that he had a natural affinity for speaking to the spirits that made their home in and around the cairn, and they would gladly listen in for him. Chuzon Fur was fairly content with his lot in life, at least until his father showed up. The large, powerful get of Fenris Arun was surprised, and enraged, that the pup he had accidentally sired was still alive. Naturally, he didn't reveal their relationship to anyone, but he took his anger out on the poor Matis. One particular night, when the rest of the Sept was busy with rites and rituals, he dragged Chuzonfur out into the forest and proceeded to beat him within an inch of his life. Chuzonfur never raised a hand in defense, never uttered a word or pleaded for the get to stop the facts he had known his entire life had finally come to bear. He was low, lower than dirt, a mistake that was tolerated only because of his usefulness. He grit his teeth, accepted the punishment, and did nothing to prevent it. And when the get was finished, he spat upon the blooded, broken body of the matis and left the same night, never to return. fur never told anyone who had hurt him, never spoke ill of the stranger who had wished him harm. Instead he healed, slowly, and prepared himself to undergo his own rite of passage, to join the Sept, not as a pup, but as a Garu, and to bring honor upon those who had taken him in. Lupus, Hamid, Matus, Galliard, Arun, Thurg, Red Talon, Bolnar, Child of Gaia, Shatterglass, Laika, Chews on Fur. They are but three lives in the never-ending struggle against the Great Corrupter. We will follow them later as they undergo their rite of passage, but hopefully this has served as an example of how the Garu are made. To the warriors of Gaia, life must be hard, for otherwise they will lack the strength to face the worm. Hope, however, is their strongest tool, and while their situation may at times seem hopeless, the Garu must never falter in their belief that hope is not yet lost. In my next video, I will discuss the history of the Sabbat movement more in detail. We will discuss the civil wars, the creation of the Panders, and the accords and laws written to bring order and structure to the Sword of Cain. The Primogen Council sends its best wishes to Dante the Canine, the first elder to join our ranks, and would wish to thank the Ancillae Edward Reed, Colin Gifford and Harry Wyckoff, as well as its loyal Neonates, for their continued support and thank you for watching. The world is dying, when will you rage?